Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Chris Geis. The purpose of my podcast is to help grow the sport of motorcycling by helping riders of all levels, whether they are new to motorcycling or not, increase their knowledge and skills so that they are better, safer riders and are getting everything they want out of motorcycling, whether it's on the street, on the track, or maybe even some form of racing. This is episode 25, titled Moto America Superbike Racer Kyle Wyman. In this episode, I talk with Kyle Wyman, who grew up in the Harley-Davidson dealership that was started by his grandfather in 1962. Both of his parents race cars and motorcycles at the professional level, and he has been racing motorcycles since he was a kid. Kyle became a professional motorcycle racer at age 16, and he raced flat track for several years until switching to motorcycle road racing with his two younger brothers. Kyle has owned his own race team for many years, and now Kyle Wyman Racing is fielding a Ducati Panigale V4R in the Moto America Superbike Series, which Kyle is riding himself. Kyle has also been a motorcycle riding and racing instructor since 2014, and he recently started his own online motorcycle training school, KWR Coaching, which is open to riders of all experience levels. This episode was recorded on Thursday, August 15th, 2019. I hope you enjoy it. So, you want to ride a motorcycle? Well, you've come to the right place. Because this is the So You Want to Ride a Motorcycle podcast. My special guest tonight is Kyle Wyman. Kyle is the owner of the Kyle Wyman Racing Team, for which he rides the number 33 Ducati Panigale V4R in the Moto America Superbike Championship. Kyle also teaches track riders and racers at the Yamaha Champions Riding School and is the owner of KWR Coaching, which he recently started to help riders of all levels using the internet and online coaching technology. With 14 races in the books, Kyle is currently 13th in a field of 22 bikes in the Superbike Championship and he took first place in the 78th running of the Daytona 200 motorcycle race back in March. So welcome, Kyle. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. My pleasure. So uh, the, the, the way it kind of came up, I reached out to you and you know, had the thought about doing this, is I actually, you know, I, I'm during the day at work, you know, I'm kind of checking Facebook messages and I'm on Instagram. And I think it was Instagram. You had put up like a live streaming video, I guess, of, of one of the, the you know, championship schools that you were teaching. Uh, which was really cool. And so I kind of tuned in and I was listening a little bit, you know, while I was working. And I was like, wow, this guy's really good. Like he really seems to connect with the students, seems to like to teach. And one of my reasons for starting this podcast is to help riders of all levels increase their skills. Um, and of course, I already knew you from Moto America. I'm a big Moto America fan, you know, and, and just kind of following you and Moto America Superbike and whatever. So Fortunately, you were able to clear some time. I know it sounds like you're really, really busy between you – know, you're, you're like mid the racing season. Uh, if you want, we could talk a little bit. You had an injury recently and a surgery, and so recovering from that, plus everything you're doing with the school. And uh, I know you want to go see a movie or something tonight with your wife, which I, I totally don't blame. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably yeah. hard to squeeze things yeah. like that in, right? So, um, yeah, so uh, one of the things I think is cool is that you're riding the Ducati. Um, now, you know, listeners of my podcast know I'm a big Kawasaki fan and, you know, I enjoy watching like Jonathan Rea, you know, dominate for the past couple of years and world Superbike on a Kawasaki. Um, but it's actually, I think been cool that Ducati has been racing in world Superbike, And of course, now that, you know, we've got the Ducatis in, in Moto America 
Is this kind of the first, are you the first one riding a Ducati in Moto America? Def- the first one with the Panigale V4R, so okay. with the V4 configuration for sure. Really the last uh, full-time effort in the in the superbike class in America was Larry Pegram back in 2009. So it's it's really been about 10 years. You know, we've had some other Ducatis and other classes over the recent years, but uh, this is this is kind of a, a return of Ducati back to American racing. Yeah, which, which is awesome. I mean, I, I think the, the more brands, the better. You know, obviously, it, it just helps attract more fans, and it just helps kind of expand it and grow things. So, so that's really cool. How, uh, how did that all come to be? Like, did you approach Ducati? Did they approach you? Like, how, how does that work? I, I actually, I, I went into a dealer, and I ordered a couple bikes, really. Um, it, it, it was kind of a, um, a last-minute deal. I had a couple different opportunities with some other manufacturers for this year. I've been on the Yamaha for a number of years, and I wanted to make a change. And a couple things fell through with a Kawasaki BMW deal, and it was maybe January 16th or so. I was kind of staring and at, at the screen trying to figure out what, what's it going to take this year to do something different, grow this program. And an opportunity to get a couple Panigale V4Rs came up. I uh, just ordered them through a dealer, but uh, Jason Chinnick, the CEO of Ducati North America, helped me secure them faster so we could get the first two in the U.S. So we got the first two production V4Rs. They landed February 28th on uh, in, in L.A., and we picked them up, and in a month, we prepped them ready for Superbike, and it's been a it's been a it's been a task getting these things uh, developed and and up to speed. But it's uh, it's been an adventure. I could imagine that's really cool. So, kind of pretty much, you decided okay, you were going Ducati, you went to buy the bikes, and then whatever things fell into place, and Ducati started helping out. And obviously, they they want to be in Moto America, right? So, I'm, I'm I'm sure they were like, yeah, okay, let's do this thing. Yeah, it was really cool. I mean, it, it was definitely unplanned for them you know this was me going with a full privateer effort to race this new this new bike and you know we're actually the only you know national level superbike in the in the world that's running a superbike that was developed from a production bike so when you look around the world at you know bsb and world superbike those are all kit bikes from ducati corsa that were you know built from the ground up as race bikes and we started from a stock bike so We've utilized a lot of parts from Ducati Corsa to to help us get closer to a superbike package, but you know we've got a lot of custom and one-off parts that are very different from theirs on our particular package. Right. Cool. So, what like what kinds of mods? Obviously, maybe things you can't talk about, which is fine. But like, what what kinds of mods and changes have you done to the bike? Well, the biggest thing for us was getting an electronics kit on the bike that's going to help us get the adjustability and the tuning out of it that we need and. We we purchased a Superbike Electronics kit from Ducati Corsa, and they sent over an engineer from Italy to help us get it going. Uh, electronics guy this year, Darren Marshall, he actually came from, uh, he was at the Yoshimura team last year, very familiar with sophisticated electronics, and we got him up to speed from the guys from Italy, and we've kind of had a pretty smooth sailing run with the electronics this year, and um Recently, we just added a, a swing arm from Ducati Corsa that allows us more adjustability in the wheelbase. You know, different linkage that's developed for racing. That's gonna big. That's been a big help. But that's really it for for factory parts that are on our bike. And the rest of it is you know, triple clamps from Evil Technology, rear sets from them, SC Project exhaust system that they built custom for us in Italy. You know, everything's kind of pieced together with my 
partners that I've had for a long time. So right. it's definitely, it's a different looking motorcycle from the factory bikes because it is very different. And, um, one of our biggest challenges was building fuel tanks that hold enough capacity. And we built those custom on our own as well. Okay. Gotcha. 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 Okay. And that's because stock off the floor, the tank's just not big enough. It just not, doesn't carry yes. enough fuel. 16 liters is a, is a stock tank capacity and we need up to 22 or 23 to go race, race distance at some of these tracks. So, you know, you got to find room for more fuel and there's not a whole lot of places to put it. But, uh, gotcha. Gotcha. Now I've actually never thought of this before, but on, on a race bike, is there anything special about the tank? You know, like in race cars, they have like fuel cells, you know, dividers and things to keep the, the, the gas from sloshing around is the same kind of thing in motorcycle racing. Yeah, it's, we're probably on our fourth or fifth version of the tank because of the development that we've had to do with different baffles and trap doors to hold the fuel near the fuel pump because you've got a lot of forces moving the fuel around. On the brakes, everything goes forward. On the gas, everything goes back. Okay. So it's, you, it's great. You can have a tank that's 24 liters, but it runs out with six liters in the tank because you're not directing the fuel around to get to the fuel pump. So. Okay that's actually a bigger challenge than the capacity itself is making sure that it'll actually run dry. Right. Totally. Because who needs extra weight? That's not doing any good for you. Right. <laughs> right. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Um, how big a team do you have? Like between mechanics, engineers, I, I know I, cause I saw the photo and, and I realize it's a slightly different thing maybe, but the, the photo when you won the, um, the Daytona 200 and that was a big, a big group of people, you know, in, yeah. in that photo. Is that about the size of like what the team you work with in Moto America? Actually, no. Uh, in the superbike stuff, really the reason we need so many hands on deck for the 200 is because you have the pit stops. So you have, you know, five or six crew members going over the wall, plus crew chief, you know, on the backside of the wall, Gary Dean, and, you know, other people helping with the logistics. You got to have somebody out on the pit board, on the radio. So it takes a lot more manpower to race the Daytona 200. And we have, you know, we have essentially four guys at the superbike races kind of as the core team, you know, Darren on the electronics, Gary Dean as a crew chief, my dad who helps with the chassis mechanic and, and doing a lot of the, the work at the track. And, um, you know, we've got some other help. We've got Ryan Luft, who's, who's coming back this, this, uh, this round to help us, who's been with my team since 2013. And yeah, it's a pretty small group of people. It continues to grow because with Ducati comes a lot of uh, a lot of activation work to, you know, make it a good event for sure. for Ducati owners and for sponsors to have hospitality. And we've got the KW Army this year, the the kind of the fan program that I put together. So I've had to expand and bring on more manpower to help us with everything we got going. Yeah, totally, totally makes sense. Now. Uh, obviously like the 200 is a different kind of race and it's it's called the 200 because it's a basically a 200 mile race right i think the yes. track the track is about four miles and you run about 50 laps a little more than 50 laps right yep it's about a three three mile and 3.51 mile and it's a 57 lap race okay and i think that it, it, you run that in about what two hours a little over two hours or something yeah right? just just under if no red flags we had one red flag this year that reset okay. the grid at the end of the race Okay, now with Moto America Superbike, you're usually running, what, 22, 24 laps? Yeah, it depends on the length of the, tra of the track. You know, okay. Road America is a four-mile track, so our, our Superbike race is 14 laps there. Okay. Whereas, you know, we go to New Jersey here pretty soon, it'll be a 23-lap race. Right, gotcha. And they're usually about half an hour, 
give or take? Uh, 35 to 38 minutes usually. Yeah, it, it's just interesting comparison. You know, I was thinking about it, you know, I was looking at, you know, the, the Daytona 200 and whatever. And, you know, I've commented on this podcast. You know, I've been writing three years and I'm, I'm a little older than you. I'm like mid 50s. Right. So it's a <laughs> little bit different. Um, probably not in as good physical shape. But, you know, if I if I ride 200 miles on the road on my bike, I'm like done. So yeah. I, I can't imagine what it's like doing a race like that. I mean, is it? Is it different? Like, do you do additional physical conditioning and prep before a race like that? Like, any anything more rigorous than what you do normally for your race season? I think more than anything, it's it's a bigger mental task than it is a physical being that long and having to stay focused for that long. Um, if there's anything I do particularly for that race, is you spend a lot of time on the banking in a full tuck. So I try to do a lot of neck stretching because you're constantly in a full tuck, looking straight up, yeah. and that's probably the most tiring for me i don't know if it's like that for most people but i've i've broken you know c345 t2 t3 vertebrae in in my neck and back before so i struggle with that stuff so i try to prepare that physically but it's pretty much the same program you know going into it and it's a 600 and there's a lot of time for rest on straightaways so it's not as physical as the superbike race actually is yeah okay gotcha and is that pretty much the class in the the 200 is like 600 cc yeah that's okay. that's so what the class is. Yep, it's like okay. a super sport type of rules package. Gotcha. Okay. And this year you ran the Yamaha like R6 based bike. Yep. Is that right? Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Cool. Um, so maybe you want let's talk a little bit about uh, KWR coaching, right? Which you started just recently, like last month, I think, right? You like got yeah. it off the ground. Yeah. So that's that's pretty cool. So like, what what's What's the offering? And I read a little bit on your website, and, and I'll put links for everything in the show notes for the podcast, so people can like easily find it. But um, maybe if you could just talk a little bit about like what you're offering, because it sounds like you're working with people of all different skill levels. Yeah, so KWR coaching wasn't really a big, planned, huge thing that I've been working on for a long time. It was almost like a knee jerk thing, and and uh, felt like I felt like there's not a whole lot of uh, accessibility for riders who want to learn about the sport and learn proper techniques you know there's just, there's a ton of videos around youtube and facebook and tons of voices out there that that have all sorts of different ideas on how to ride a motorcycle and you know so it's um it's been cool and i've wanted to just you know it's not something i'm trying to get rich off of you know it's uh it's 85 bucks for an hour session and give people an opportunity to ask any questions they want and it's it's just uh you know it's it's about technique a lot of them but for some people it's just consulting you know what what bike should i get next you know what what's yeah. a good track bike you know you know everybody says i need to run slicks do i need to run slicks what you know it, there's a lot of questions that people have and and i feel like i have some experience that i can pass along and i want to make it accessible for as many riders as i can Sure. That's really cool. How, how many hours a week are you kind of managing with that? I, I guess it varies. Like, I guess the week before a race weekend is probably not as much time. Yeah, I block my schedule, you know, for, for the race weekends, of course. But, right. you know, on weeks where I have a whole week available, I'll do, you know, six or seven sessions during a week. And, and um, you know, people are going to get ready for their track day that weekend, go, go do it, try the stuff that we talked about, and maybe they'll come back and do another session and and tell me how it went and, and try to work forward. So it, it's actually, it's been really cool and people have found it very beneficial, you know, to, to have a couple things to work on specifically, because I think it's really easy to get to a track and say, Oh, I want to go faster. I want to do this. I want to do that. And you start asking around the paddock and 
you know, asking for advice and you got different levels of everybody wants to share their experience, you know? Yeah. So you hear one thing from this guy and, and another thing from another guy, and you're not really sure which voice you want to listen to a lot of times, you know? So try to come from a place of experience and offer some good, good help. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. I, Cause, uh, I know recently I've been reading Keith codes, like a twist of the wrist book and, you know, I watched the video and I remember, I think it's the second video where it's kind of how he helps promote his book, right? Is, you know, you have a couple of street writers and they're getting started and they're, you know, like, how do you do this? How do you do that? And they're getting all these different opinions and things. So, you know, the, the answer in the video is, Hey, you know, you need to read this book kind of thing. So it, it's kind of like, uh, mm-hmm. A stable set of data or something like that from someone experienced that knows what they're doing. So it sounds like that's what you're, you know, you're providing now for the people you're working with. Yeah. And the techniques we're, you know, I'm, I'm teaching are, are based on what we've worked on in our curriculum with the champions riding school and yeah. Nick Ionach and, and really deriving from Freddie Spencer's school ultimately. So, you know, worked with a lot of different coaches from that program, Ken Hill as well, who I believe does online coaching too. Yeah. You know, there's, there's, um, I feel like there's a, a little bit of a, you know, a, a two day school with, you know, either California Superbike School or Yamaha Champion School. It's it's not cheap, you know, for a lot of riders to, to get out and, and get access to that information and that type of experience. So, you know, that's why I wanted to start a little bit of an online portal for people to book time. And, you know, if they just have a few questions we cover in an hour and it helps them, that's that's awesome. Yeah, no, definitely. Do uh do people like submit photos or videos and stuff to you like that you can kind of review with them and see Yeah, what's going so when on? people book, they can, you know, they they have a space to tell me kind of what they're working on, why they want to get some coaching, and then they can another spot for them to add a link to, you know, maybe a private YouTube video, some onboard footage or some photos if they want to work on body position, you know, something we can reference before we go into it. Yeah. Got you, got you. Um any particular plans you have, like, 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 obviously you're busy with everything going on, and and I'm guessing kind of like racing. That's your main focus, probably, right? Like, the the Moto America series now. Although I guess off season you'll probably devote more time to the KWR, KWR coaching. Yeah, I mean, obviously there will be more time available for me to to do the coaching on the website for people to book. So, you know, that'll ramp up for sure. And then I'd like to start doing some some kind of group calls you know, where I talk about a certain subject and, you know, maybe 20 or so people can, can jump on and, and, and listen and submit questions, you know, I'm, I'm looking into doing that, but, um, right now it's just kind of a little, little side gig. And like I said, not, not trying to make an income source out of it, really just, just trying to continue the conversation about good riding habits. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And I encourage people, I'll put the link also to, to follow you on Instagram. Cause like I said, it was really cool. I'm just sitting working and it's like, bing, you know, this, you know, <laughs> Kyle is doing a video. So like, let me check this out and see like what, what tidbits and stuff I could pick up. So. Yeah. So I just had a live video of me actually just lecturing during a Yamaha school. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, people seem to, to like that a lot. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, it's cool too, to see the comments that people have, you know, cause obviously a lot of people follow you racing and, and whatever. So it's kind of fun to just join in on that conversation. But uh, yeah. you, you've been teaching with that school for like six years now or, or so, right? Uh, started, started 2014. So, yeah, it's been at least five years, five and a half years now oh. we've, been, we've been working together. Yeah, so that's cool. Speaking of which, you've been writing for quite a while. I know I, uh, you've got a cool like little photo bio you know, on, on your website. I'll put the link for that too because you started riding at like age five, right? Yep. On, uh, what was it, yep. PW, PW50? 
Yep. Right? Ryan and yeah. PW50. Yeah. yeah. And I guess both your parents rode, and it's kind of—I guess that's kind of how you got into it. Yeah, both parents raced. Actually, they're drag racers. Okay. So both on motorcycles and cars, and growing up in a Harley Davidson dealership, actually a family dealership that was started by my grandfather in 1962. Yeah. So I've been around motorcycles my whole life. Couldn't escape it. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> that, that's cool. W- w- wish I had been exposed to that. It might not have taken me so long to find, yeah. you know, to find motorcycling. But uh, and then uh, you spent quite a few years racing flat track, right? Yep. So all the way through the amateur ranks of flat track, and then had a couple amateur national championships. Turned pro as soon as I turned sixteen when I was allowed to. Did three years of pro flat track before I made a switch to road racing. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then the flat track, were you, you were riding Harleys. Uh, Harley's, you know, Honda 450s, you know, all sorts of different stuff. But I did spend a couple years on the on the Harley Davidson XR 750 in in the twins racing mm-hmm. before before I went road racing. Right, gotcha. What uh, what got you interested in road racing? Any, anything? It honestly was it, it was never in the master plan. You know, it was never something I really thought was was going to be for me actually, but. At the end of 2007, they had the the tryouts for the Red Bull Rookies Cup in America, and I was already too old to try out. I was already uh, 17 years old, but my younger brother, there's three of us, my brother Travis and Cody, my younger brother Travis tried out and he made the team. So as a flat tracker, he he made this road racing team, and then we all kind of decided, oh, let's go try that for a little while. Mm-hmm. And here we are. Yeah, cool. Now, Travis races in Moto America as well right yep he races in the stock thousand class okay because i know i know i came across the name i was want to i wanted to ask if he was a relative so there's the answer to that question yep. do uh so i guess that's kind of cool having two brothers that race also yeah and cody hasn't been racing recently but he's he's just uh done a deal to race at the junior cup for the last three rounds this year so he's gonna ride the westby racing r3 yamaha for the rest of the season so his first race will be next weekend at pittsburgh Okay, cool. And they're both younger than you. Yes. So you're kind of setting the setting the standard for the family. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Did um did did your parents race professionally? Uh yeah my my dad raced uh, IHRA, and he was uh, the ECR East Coast. Yeah, I think it was ECRA East Coast uh, champion in in his category on the Harleys doing the drag racing stuff. So yeah, racing's been around for a long time, but they never, neither of them did any type of flat track or circuit racing. One of the things I love about Motor America um, is is just the accessibility, you know, and and the fact that it is easy for fans to interact with the racers and the teams or whatever. I, I think that adds a really cool element. You know, it reminds me, not that I've been to a lot of NASCAR races, but like NASCAR also, you know, always promoted that kind of thing. You know, kids could, whatever, you know, you can go get an autograph from whoever and, and it just kind of encourages you know interaction which is really cool yeah for sure and yeah sure they do it moto gp but moto gp is just so big and uh, i guess at least right now so much more money it's more exclusive at least feeling kind of thing mm-hmm. so, yeah for sure yeah 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 so that's pretty cool um so I, but before we started recording i know we talked a little bit about your your injury right so that was at laguna seca actually mm-hmm. right that um yeah was, was that race one I guess that it was race one in the, in the first corner. Well, turn two really at Laguna, uh, just in the, in the group pack got hit from behind and got high sided off the bike and 
was was midair a bit had my hand out just to kind of stop me you know by instinct and i ended up breaking my scaphoid which is the navicular bone in your hand so i missed uh obviously that race and sunday's race and had surgery monday in san jose right after the weekend and had about three three and a half weeks to recover for sonoma and uh I'd say I was about 80% going into Sonoma, but it didn't seem to hamper me too much physically. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. But I'm guessing it's a difficult thing to have to deal with, right? I mean, are you, like, were you experiencing any pain racing Sonoma or? Oh, yeah, I mean, pain, tightness, you know, a little bit of weakness just from sitting on the couch, you know, trying to recover, not really being able to train and stuff like that. So mm. it's definitely uh, it's definitely a struggle, but nothing I'm unfamiliar with you know that was actually my 18th surgery in my life okay. so i've had a few i've had a few yeah. injuries right and is that those those are all because of motorcycle related injuries uh one was skiing <laughs> okay well, <fair> enough. <laughs> <laughs> downhill downhill skiing yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> you still do that uh no no okay just no. no no time for it i just lost the interest uh just i live in arizona now not a whole lot of skiing. Okay, no, yeah, it's, it's and it's a bit of a it's a bit of a ride to go over to California and I guess ski yeah. up there. Yeah, I used to I haven't done it in a while. I used to snowboard and ski and stuff like that. It's a ton of fun. But uh yeah, so I, I guess like the the injuries is kind of name of the game. I mean it just goes with you know, obviously you don't want to have that and you know, I know like as a spectator, I hate to see it. Like you never want to see a rider go down or anything, but obviously it is a fact of life. Um so like how how do you deal with that mentally? Like, I guess you kind of learn, right? Because what you don't want to have, like, you don't want to have a situation and then be spooked, right? About getting back on the bike. Like, you kind of have to just get your mind back in the game. Like, is there any particular way that you do that? You know, after an incident. Yeah, I mean, it comes with experience, but you know, we talk about it at the school all the time. It's it's about being a, a technical rider versus an emotional rider. You know, it's it's knowing that hey. A crash happened for some reason in the in the case at Laguna. It just got I just got hit by somebody. Yeah. You know, so it's it's just one of those things. You get back to business, you get back to work, and you go back out and you do your job. Right. Yep. 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 Gotcha. Um, in in any of the training you've done, or even the, the like classes that you teach, is there any discussion about or like any any technique? It's kind of hard thing to practice, but you know, teaching riders, you know, how to crash, you know, kind of safer or, in, or any uh, tips no, you have, there's... like, cause I've heard different things You know, people talk about, you know, wanting to kind of be loose, like a ragdoll kind of thing. So you're not tightened up. Obviously you want to try to avoid breaking your fall with wrists and stuff, but uh, obviously things happen so fast. That's not always possible. So uh, I guess it's kind of an experience. I mean, as, and As far as how to crash, I mean, there's not really a whole lot you can do, you know, yeah. if there's anything we can say, it's if you're low side, don't hang on to the motorcycle. That's one of the things. But, you know, other than that, I mean, the biggest thing for me telling people is to get good gear. You know, there's such tremendous safe gear out there these days with the airbag suits from Alpine stars with the tech air and, right. you know, new helmet technology. I wear the six D helmet, which has the omnidirectional suspension in it. And, you know, we, we try to continuously push the limits of safety to try to try to get safer gear, and it's something that you can't afford not to invest in. Sure, no, definitely, that makes a lot of sense. Do you think uh, at some point, and and I realize it's perhaps a financial monetary concern, right? Because Moto America wants to encourage, 
you know, people to get into the sport, right? So you don't want it to be cost prohibitive kind of thing. But like in MotoGP, they've moved to making, you know, airbag suits mandatory. You'd think mm-hmm. eventually Moto America will do that. I think so. I think it's a little bit tough right now. Like, you know, everybody in MotoGP, Moto2, Moto3 has has a leather sponsor who takes care of them. You know, so, you know, mandating that pushed a couple brands out. That's not necessarily a bad thing. You know, we all have to elevate our game. Mm -hmm. And I think that was a a good thing, as well as the new FIM homologation for the helmets to have a rotational mitigation in them as well. So, again, that pushed out a couple helmet companies, but I think it's all for the better in the end. Sure. And that so that's now a requirement for MotoGP? Yep. That happened actually midway through this season. Okay, gotcha. And so, like the technologies, I know that way is 6D, and then MIPS, right? Which I think has been used in like Bell uses it, and a couple other manufacturers. Is that pretty much the the, the um, options right now? Yeah the um, the difference between MIPS and and 6D is, um, you know, MIPS is a sliding plane; it's basically two dimensional, whereas ODS is is a, a damper that collects rotational force over over distance as well mm-hmm. so for example in 2017 i did a, a wild card over at donnington park in the european Superstock 1000 championship and i had a huge huge crash high side and i had a concussion i was wearing my 6d helmet and when they took the helmet apart to see how it actually collapsed um, it has two eps liners that are suspended by those dampers and where those EPS liners came together was actually six millimeters out of center. Okay. So it actually soaked up that much rotational force. Right. And I, I attribute that to a very fast recovery I had after, after the wreck. So I've had other concussions that took me a month to really pass an impact test and feel normal. Whereas with the six D I, on a bigger impact, I actually was, was a hundred percent in 10 days. Mm-hmm. afterwards so oh, made a big awesome. difference that's really cool so like what with the concussions you've experienced what's the kind of after effects that you know, that you'll have until you're kind of back to quote-unquote normal yeah i mean it's definitely like some grogginess and you know some memory stuff but you know mainly it's your cognitive ability that gets hampered yeah. right you know so there's really good tests that you know if you're if you're healthy and you can go get a baseline test to see what your cognitive ability is normally right you have that as a baseline so if you get a concussion you can go take the test again and you can compare it to what you are normal mm-hmm. gotcha. and that's a really good indicator of of when you're actually fit to come back and race again okay now is that something that's kind of required in some series like to get a baseline yeah so moto america has baseline testing okay at the beginning of the season, everybody has to go through that so that they have a baseline, can retest when they get a, a hit on the head, so they can be cleared for you know cleared by medical to go go out again and ride. Right, that's cool. I did not know that. That's that's yeah, that's a pretty awesome thing. The um, so you mentioned eighteen surgeries that you've had. Well, seventeen, right, from related to motorcycling. Um, do you notice like is- issues related to those injuries and surgeries, like things that are difficult either everyday life or riding the bike? Yeah, honestly, the 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 injuries I have had surgery on are are less of an issue than the ones I haven't. If that makes sense, it's sure. it's the you know the compression fractures and the and the the spinal fractures that I've had that didn't require surgery are the ones that give me more trouble than you know 
a broken wrist that was fixed with a plate or, you know, a rod in the tibia and screws in the tibia plateau, that stuff has healed, you know, the bone stuff like that comes together pretty well, but you know, it's the other stuff that, that affects you more yeah. day to day. Yeah. No, that makes sense actually. Cause you, you, I mean, your body's doing the best it can to heal itself, but you don't have the aids that you have. Like you said, if you have plates or screws or something that kind of yeah. hold things together and help things mend. Um, do you ever just out of curiosity, you know, give any thought to, to, to how long you want to race? Like, you know, how long you see your career going? Is it kind of a point where you're like, yeah, I think I'll kind of be done or is it just keep going, you know, and when it's done, it's done. I mean, it's too early for that. It yeah. doesn't creep in. So, you know, I'm yeah. 29, been racing, you know, 21 years now that's and, awesome. and, uh, I definitely don't want to stop anytime soon. Yeah. Gotcha. What, um, it's kind of an odd question maybe, but cause I realize this is what you're doing currently, right? Moto America. And that's the thing. And that's, that's what you're promoting or whatever. But, uh, of the different kinds of racing that you've done, like since you were a young kid, what's, what's been your favorite, you know, like, is there something that stands out? Like I could see someone say, Hey, you know, it was that because it wasn't so serious and I have to go chase the money and, and that kind of thing. I would say some of the best memories I have of racing is definitely in flat track, but also the, the Harley Davidson XR 1200 series we had from 2010 to 2014, you know, I won seven of those and, you know, had my first professional win on, on those bikes. And it was definitely, there was a lot of camaraderie in that paddock and it was a spec series. So everybody had what they had, you know, there was, everybody's bikes were so even that it really came down to the rider and there was so much less technical, you know, things that went into having success, like on the super bikes. Right. So I definitely, I definitely really appreciated that time where we were, we were racing against each other on similar equipment, but, uh, taking nothing away from how rewarding it is to race super bikes. Oh, sure. I can imagine. And, uh, are you like a technology guy? Like, is that, do you enjoy that aspect of like the super bike stuff? I, I mean, I guess I, I guess I could say, Yes, but I, I wish I wasn't as involved, <laughs> yeah, you know, okay. being, being the rider team owner, you know, ordering the parts, being a part of all the technical discussions and everything. It definitely takes up some brain capacity on the race weekends, but that's the situation I'm in. And, and that's part of my job at this point is to, to help move forward on the development, especially with a new bike this year. So yeah, yeah it's, it's part of it. Right. So, and, and I guess that's, that's, you know, the, cause there's always like risk reward pros and cons, right? You know, so as a privateer, obviously you get to call the shots and do things the way you want, but yeah, I could understand how it's, it's a little more difficult cause you got to run things more and you got to pull things together. I guess it'd be kind of nice if, you know, you, you just go out to the, the garage or whatever and the bike is ready and someone holds it for you and you get on and, <laughs> and off you go. Like, yeah. you know, you watch yeah. MotoGP and stuff like that, right? The of guys course. come in, someone grabs the bike, the rider's done. He goes, does whatever he does. <laughs> Yep. And and then they yep. pull it apart, fix it, whatever, you know, whatever has to be done. Yep. Yeah. So that makes sense. Um, are, I guess some, some of the Motor America teams are factory sponsored, right? Mm-hmm. Some, somewhat like, like, uh, I don't know, like Elias and, um, Josh Heron, like in Suzuki. Is that, is that a factory team? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yep. They're a factory team, the Oshimer Suzuki, as well as the, the factory Yamaha team Thomas, with Bobier yeah. and Gerloff. So right. okay. those are really the four four very strong entries into the series with that much support you know they get to be a rider and and a rider first you know so that that's it that's a tremendous i don't want to say advantage but it's a good position to be in as a rider and 
you know, even the other privateer teams, you know, are, are hired riders, you know, so it's, it's pretty rare to be a situation where you're, you're a rider and an owner and having to put it all together and then, you know, flip the switch on, on Sunday and put the helmet on and go racing. And be right. Be the racer and not the, the team owner, manager, troubleshooter, everything. Yeah. Kind of thing. yeah. Mm-hmm. So h- how long have you had this team? I actually started it in 2012 and that was with the Harley, the Harley series. Oh, so okay. started just, you know, I'm going to make KWR a thing, you know, Kyle Wyman racing. And, and it was just, you know, one bike and a pickup truck to start and gathered some support from different sponsors. And I actually started a rental program. So I had a, a fleet of bikes that I would rent to riders who wanted to do their home round or wanted to try that series. And that was how I generated income to fund my racing for kind of that whole, that whole series for those, you know, four years until Moto America came in and in 2015 and I moved up to uh, the 600 class and then moved to super stock thousand onto super bike. So, you know, before that's how I started the team and then it's continued on and grown to what is a, you know, one of the stronger privateer superbike efforts now. Yeah, that's cool. So you've definitely got an entrepreneurial streak. <laughs> have you always kind of have you always kind of been that way like were you like one of those kids that was selling lemonade and stuff like that and not really it's just you know it's a means to an end you know it's i want to go racing and and, and um you know i haven't been called up to a factory ride yet so for me to do that it's you know i'm not going to sit at home and wish i had this and wish i had that i'm i'm kind of one of those guys that's going to go get it and make it happen make it happen that's awesome so and, and i'm sure that carries over a lot into your racing right like that that mentality and because i'd imagine i think if i were in your situation i would take a lot of pride in in how you're performing in the field relative to right you, you know you're up against like you know the the kind of four lead bikes right or factory supported teams I don't, I don't know how the budgets compare but i'd imagine probably quite a bit more um so it, it's pretty cool to be competing in that you know environment yeah i mean competing in that space and doing well with what we have is is a great thing but um and you know for maybe for some time i was i was pretty happy with that and pretty proud of that but you know at the end of the day i want to win you know so you know it's 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 meant less and less to me you know what we've been able to accomplish against other teams considering our situation i just kind of throw out that you know considering our issues or considering our budget i've kind of thrown that out and i want to i want to compete against the factory teams right so that's my focus and it's a mindset you know to to not feel like i'm only going to do this good because i'm a rider owner to throw that idea out and and think okay what if i can compete with them anyway right well i guess that gets into how much of a mental game this can be right like because you know i don't maybe maybe obviously there's this in racing right whether it's motorcycles whatever there's physical ability there's physical talent there's fitness and all that but you know I'm, I'm a strong believer in mind over body and i just know that people can do miraculous things when they put their mind to it and and i guess that's kind of what you're getting at right is you're like it sounds like you're saying it's it's not acceptable to you it's like okay fine maybe the factory teams have an advantage but i want to win so i that doesn't i'm not taking i'm not allowing that as an excuse it kind of sounds like exactly what you're i don't yeah i don't want to i don't want to use that as a crutch or you right. know or you know self-remote like oh look how good we're doing you know with so little that's that's not 
you know, my goal is to grow this team to be as strong or stronger than those factory teams yeah. Yeah. in order to, to get the end result, which is, which is winning. Wins, which is awesome, which is, that's the nature of a racer, right? It's like, <laughs> you know, winning is it, right? Basically, which mm-hmm. is, yeah, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. How, uh, how did you come to the number 33 that you're running? Ah, so, you know, we talked about my mom going to flat track races when she was younger and, and actually one of her favorite riders, his name was Freddie Nix. He was, uh, he was number three on the national, on the national circuit. And, you know, she looked up to him so much because of how he was with kids and how he was just a, a genuine good person. So when we all started road or flat tracking, we were all number three, me and my two brothers. I, I saw and, that the photos on your website it was really cool. Yeah. Yeah. So when I turned pro when I was 16 and flat track, you couldn't have a single digit number. So I just went ahead and became 33 okay. and, okay. and it was actually 33 B for the New York district. You know, you have your letter along with your number. Mm-hmm. So I was, I was 33 B and then, uh, you know, when we went road racing, I just carried over 33 and fortunately I've been able to keep it all the way through. So it's definitely become my number for sure. Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. It looks good on the bike. Like, because I, I saw a lot, actually all the bikes you've had, it just, I don't know, somehow that number just works as a symmetry yeah. to it. And yeah. so, yeah, yeah, that, that's really cool. Um, now th- this season you have someone else riding for you on your team. Like I was looking at the Moto America website and I didn't know, uh, I'm trying to see it listed someone, Bryce Prince. Is that still this year or was that last year? Not that was only last year. So okay. Bryce was, Bryce was a little bit out of a ride last minute and he's very much like me where he puts together his own program and he, he builds his own bikes and he, he really pushes to, to get out there. So, you know, I had opportunity to, to carry his stuff for the year and he kind of just ran his program within mine, but you know, we shared some sponsors and we shared our footprint in the paddock and we shared some crew and it was a really good deal for him. You know, I got a couple podiums towards the end of the year in Pittsburgh and, now this year he just got a podium with his new team this past weekend at Sonoma. Cool. And uh yeah, it was great having him on last year. He's just he's a hard working kid as well. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. But so the, but this year it's you. It's it's, it's yeah. you and your bike for yep. Kyle yeah, Lyman racing. It. Gotcha. Okay. Cool. Um are you looking in the future like that you might take on additional riders? I guess cuz I know you mentioned like thinking about growing your, you know, growing your team and your operation. Is, is that a direction you would go? I would say only if the, you know, if, if the manufacturer like Ducati wanted to have a second rider and they were willing to support the team enough to fund a second rider, you know, it actually has taken a long time for me to get to a point where I don't need to have other riders bringing in income or renting bikes like they did with the Harleys. Right. Because that was a that was a tremendous workload in itself, managing all those different riders. So, getting to this point where we're funded by our sponsors to a level high enough where I can run just me and have have everyone's focus just on one motorcycle, that's really been the goal. So I don't foresee changing that unless something drastically you know comes along where we need to. Right. No. Gotcha. That makes sense. Um, so kind of. Um... Just looking back at your, career, your racing career, which is quite a quite a few years, what what would you say you enjoy the most about racing? You know, is it just you know being on the bike on the track doing your thing? Is it 
you know, what you're doing, you know, with the mentoring and stuff, with your, your new coaching operation or, or for, for Yamaha champion school, like what's the, what's, what really is the thing for you? I mean, the drive for me is just, you know, just getting the absolute most out of myself and the motorcycle on a given day. Just, just knowing that that was everything I had and that's everything the bike had and maximizing what our capability was on that day. And on some days it's, you know, that that's enough to win the 200 on other days. It's good enough for seventh, but that's really what is the most rewarding is, is being fully exerted and knowing that it's everything you possibly had in you. Right, 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 right. Yeah. That sounds very, very rewarding. (laughs) That's right. That's really cool. Do, um, do you ride on the street at all? Or have you have you ever, or is like racing, is it? I, I don't, you know, I have for some magazine stuff and, you know, done some things here and there, but it's not really something I actively pursue or, or try to do at all, really. Okay, gotcha. Uh, is that just because the attraction for you is, is racing? Like that's kind of, because I've heard, you know, racers say that. It's like, yeah, they start on the street and okay, they like it. But like once you're racing, like it, it's a different thing. It's a different mindset. And particularly like particularly for people that are not pro, like amateur, like whatever free time they have kind of has to go to that, you know, kind of thing. Yeah, it's free time and free budget. You know, I'm definitely <laughs> right. going to. I'm definitely going to buy tires before I buy a street bike, you know? Right. Yep. 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 Yeah. Okay. <laughs> makes, makes sense. Yeah. 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 yeah it's kind of like, yeah, I guess it's like an all in, like you're, you're all in or at least if you want to, if, if you want to do well, right. It's kind of thing. So that, yeah. that, that totally makes sense. Um, given your schedule, do you have the time to follow other race series? Like are you a like MotoGP fan or anything or? Oh yeah. I follow MotoGP world Superbike. Keep an eye on what everyone's doing around the world and, Love watching the show and MotoGP is just yeah incredible. That's you know phenomenal. it's uh it's good and and uh, you know being able to to hang out with the World Superbike guys at Laguna Seca and you know compare lap times. You know yeah, yeah. when you have Moto America and, and World Superbike at at the same event and stuff like that's really cool. You know it's it's definitely a goal of mine to get to to World Superbike or MotoGP, but um it's 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 a tall order from America these days, you know, it's even hard for the factory guys to get over there. So, you know, establishing kind of a measuring stick with, with world Superbike or having guys like Tony Elias come into our series is a big help for that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and that's, what's really cool about what, you know, uh, Wayne Rainey and, and the crew doing with Moto America. Um, you know, I, I only started following motorcycle racing three years ago when I started riding. Right. So I, I don't know like the whole history, but, it from from what I observe, you know, like as a fan, you know, spectator kind of thing, it, they seem to be doing the right things. Like it's growing, it's growing every year. You know that that like the TV coverage is getting better. Like you've got the live plus this year. You know you can stream the races, you can watch them anytime, kind of thing. So it it, it definitely seems to be going in the right direction. So hopefully it is going to help. You know, and it it has already helped. Right, you know, young American racers start coming up the ranks kind of thing. I don't know how many years it takes until you see a lot of Americans going over to MotoGP, but that would be really cool. It would be, it's, it's a, it's a tall order. Like I said, and even for the young kids coming through, it's, it's, uh, it's hard to see a very clear path to the world championship. Yeah. You know, I think if you're going to, if you're going to get to the world championship, you got to be actively, actively pursuing that and trying to get over there to do fill in rides or try to do tests with different teams. 
you know, it's, it's a lot, but I think it's, you know, it's not impossible. Yeah. And it sounds like, like I said, I don't know a tremendous amount about the history and I do want to learn more about it, but it sounds in part what happened was because you had a lot of American talent, right? Like back in the seventies and stuff. And it sounds like some of that talent went over to Europe and that's kind of maybe in Spain and whatever. And maybe that's kind of why there's been such a focus there. Cause it seems like, you know, it's kind of the top riders in MotoGP come from Spain, Italy, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, since then, you know, since we had our, our Americans over there, really what's happened is the, the development of riders in Spain and Italy and those European countries has ramped up so much. I mean, yeah. there's such a clear path to, to GP over there because while well, the series is mostly based over there and, you know, there's a big talent pool. So, you know, if they got somebody who's capable of winning races in their backyard, you know, why would you take a chance on an American who may or may not have the same ability? Right. Sure, sure, sure. And the other thing, too, I've heard is it's tough for Americans that want to race over there because you have to transplant yourself, basically. You know, oh, and yeah. I mean, obviously, there's racers come here like Tony Elias and whatever, right? And I, I, he lives here now. So I, I guess that's one way to handle it. But especially for younger people, I guess, coming up through the ranks, it's kind of hard. Like, OK, let me just go move everything over there. And then, you know, if your family's supporting and helping, you know, how does that all work out? So it's, yeah. it's a struggle. Big sacrifice. <laughs> yeah, yep. yeah. Definitely, definitely, definitely. Um, you have any uh, favorite MotoGP riders or teams? Oh, I mean, I, I I love seeing the strengths of, you know, each rider on yeah. given days, given racetracks. You know, I love seeing Dovey, you know, grind out years of hard work and find his way to the front. Yeah. You know, I really, I really like watching that and, you know, you, you, you have to revel at the talent and skills of Mark Marquez, of course, you know, but I, I enjoy watching all those guys and, and being able to relate on some level to what they're going through. You know, when you see them trying to adjust to new manufacturers or, you know, go through injuries or whatever it is, you know, you know, kind of, kind of knowing, you know, not being there and not knowing exactly what it takes at that level, but, you know, trying to emulate what they're doing over here and and try to bring a new level of focus and intensity to everything we're doing yeah 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 yeah. which is cool that's a really good point and uh, i'm I'm sure there's most of i'm guessing pretty much all the moto america racers follow moto gp and world superbike and because like like, why not right why like why wouldn't you kind of think yeah Yeah. of course Yeah, yeah yeah that's really cool um so I know it's getting getting a little bit late, and uh, you got some plans for this evening. Before we wind it down, um, any other than what we've talked about already, like any advice or suggestions you have, like for people want to get started motorcycle riding or up their ability or start doing track days or even you know want to start racing. Any advice you want to pass on? Well, I mean, it sounds uh, it's sounds like something I would say, but it's to get quality coaching, really. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's before you you buy the new exhaust or the 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 better bike or the tires or whatever it is, or just try to get more seat time. That's not always the answer, you know. Quality coaching to get you on a path to success is going to be the number one thing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Good point. Good point. And I know that's that's the kind of thing a lot of people talk about, and it's one of the things like I'd like to start doing track days and working towards that. But that absolutely makes sense to me because you're going to enjoy it the most and get the most out of it if you have someone guiding you that knows 
what the heck they're doing, right? So you're not yeah. out there struggling. And, and reading books and watching videos is all good. Like there's a value to it, but it's not the same as someone who can really guide you step by step and be like, hey, if you would try this, it would solve that problem, you know, kind of thing. So yeah, yeah. good, good point. Yeah. So, uh, like I said, I, I will put uh, links to like your websites and stuff in the show notes. Um, if people want to contact you, have questions, what's the best way? Just kind of go to your website, or yeah, any of the website contact forms or K- the KWR coaching contact forms. You know, okay. that's you can reach me right through there and uh, stay in touch. And yeah, if you want to jump on, I mean, I've had people jump on to do a coaching session just to talk racing. You know, yeah, so yeah. it's that's, you know, that's... it's it's uh, yeah, just keep in touch and, you know, follow me on Instagram or Facebook. I've got, you know, a lot of stuff I post on there, highlights and videos and all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Okay. I'll make sure everyone has access to that. So Kyle, listen, uh, I really appreciate you taking the time tonight. It's been a lot of fun. Um, I'm sure the listeners are going to enjoy it. And like, I'm trying to do as much as I can to get my listeners, some of whom already follow racing, but some don't like, I'm just trying to get people pumped up about racing, particularly Moto America. I think it's an awesome series. And, uh, and I just want to do what I can to just help keep promoting it and stuff. So, Yeah. Well, I right. appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. My pleasure. All right, man. Thanks a lot. All right. Thanks. I would like to give a huge thank you to Kyle Wyman for joining me on the show. Gene and I will be at the ninth round of Moto America, the Championship of New Jersey at New Jersey Motorsports Park this coming weekend, September 7th and 8th. So I'm hoping we'll get a chance to meet Kyle in person. Also, listener John Gardner, who won the weekend tickets to Moto America, went to the races in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania back in August and said that he had a blast. He sent me some great photos and video and also had a chance to meet Chris Bays, who races in the Moto America Twins Cup class. Gene and I will also get to meet Chris this coming weekend, which I'm really looking forward to, and it sounds like Chris will have his Suzuki SV650 back together and ready to race. As always, thank you to everyone who has written in. If you haven't already, please drop me an email or fill out the contact form on my website or message me on Facebook and let me know that you're out there and anything you want to let me know about the show. You can email me anytime at soyouwanttoride at yahoo.com or use the link in the podcast notes to my website, soyouwanttoridemotorcycle.com, where you'll find all my contact details. Keep in mind that anything you send me is private and I will not share it on the podcast unless you let me know that it's okay to do so. Also, if you'd like to help me promote the podcast, I do still have stickers left. So if you'd like some stickers to put on your motorcycle or your luggage or anything else, just let me know. Just uh, email me your mailing address and I will get those stickers out to you. If you'd like to help support the podcast, you can make a donation using PayPal by going to paypal.me slash Christopher Geis or click the donate link at the upper right side on my website. Please like and leave me comments and a rating on iTunes. This way it'll help other people find my podcast. Please also like and follow me on Facebook and Instagram. Just search for So You Want to Ride, or you can find the links on my website or in the podcast notes. And keep spreading the word and help me build my online and listener communities. As always, thank you for listening. And just remember, whatever you do, it's always time to ride. (laughs) 